0: So God, you're so good. And you know, some of us know that. We've experienced your goodness. We felt your goodness in our lives. Your goodness has pulled our, some of our lives back together, our, our marriages back together, our families. It's the only reason that they're still together for some of us is that you've just been good to us. And, and so, so we know that. But then God, some of us, you know, we're, we're trying to figure you out. And we want you to be good, that's why we came in here. We hope you're good, but some of us, we are just barely hanging on to our faith, our belief that that you are good. And so, God, we're gonna ask you to do what we always ask you to do in, in, in this place, is will you teach us, will you reach into our heart and teach us what we need to know about you? And connect that with real life. So when we walk out of here in a few minutes, we actually can experience this life you said you came to give us. It's a good life. It's an abundant life made possible through you. God, you're good. Teach us about your son, Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Ah, so good. So some of you are just scared. You're just scared. It's like, are we allowed to do this? I don't know. You know, so you can. You can. All right. Hey, it's good to be back. Um, you know, so a lot of good things happen in Africa. And I'll tell you stories over the next several weeks. But, but I was nervous. I was actually nervous to get up here last night because I haven't been in this room for a month, you know. And, and so I, I told somebody, it's like, it's kind of like I'm nervous and I'm excited. It's like when you, when, you, when you land at DIA and you come up the escalator and you hope your family wants you back, you know. <laughs> It's kind of like that. And so it's kind of like that. And so, so this has been a really, really, really fun weekend. I'll tell you one story before we get into the, to, to, to the Bible. But, uh, but uh, my, one of my favorite parts of the whole trip over to Africa, we went to Nairobi and did a men's conference and then ended up in, in, really in the, in, the, in the forest, in the jungle. And, and really monkeys threw stuff at us while I was preaching. It's like some of you going, I want to throw stuff at you too. But anyway, but... Um, it's just so good, but my favorite part, other than the Jesus parts, is, is on the, one of the last days we were there, the government sent an official in to talk to us, and they were angry, and they, they were angry, and they said, you lied to us. And I'm like, what do you mean we, we lied to you? He goes, you're not a church group. Oh, yeah, yeah, we, we are. He goes, no, you're CIA military trainers, all right? And I'm like, we're not, but thank you, ah, you know, because we were a pretty bad, bad group of guys. Anyway, but anyway, but, but we're not that. Anyway, but, um, and like I said, whenever I go to Africa, I, I just hear God different. And, and I know, listen, I know that God is everywhere. He's present all over the planet. So when I say I go to Africa, I hear God better. It's probably because I, I pay better attention. Because sometimes when you go away from all, these, all this noise, you know, and this life, sometimes you just lean into God and, and you just pay attention better. And he always teaches me the same things when I go there. Like, like, like this is that God is bigger than I make him out to be. Like I have this idea of God in my little God box and I go, that's God, and that's all he does and he's always like that. And then I go, I get away from, from, from life and then all the, he just blows the lid off and I find out God is actually bigger, you know, and, and he doesn't fit in my box. The second thing is that God didn't do anything in isolation. And I, and I know that's true, I preach that all the time, but, but, but I, when I, again, when I get to another part of the world, I find out that whatever God is doing in the hearts of people here at Flatirons, here in Colorado, if I'll pay attention, I also discover he's doing the same thing in the hearts of men and women in Uganda, and in Kenya and in Afghanistan, because he's just big. I'll, I'll give you an example of that. Well, as in Africa, I was working on this talk I'm giving you know, this weekend, and I, I was, what I was going to say. When I got home, I listened to Scott's talk, and it's like it's like it's the same talk, you know. And I thought Scott ripped me off because he does that sometimes, and. Um, <laughs> No, no, no. It's like, it was like when I listened to it, I thought, that's awesome. Because it's like last week, if you weren't here, it's awesome. But, but it's like Scott gave the first punch, and I get to give the, the follow-up punch. Uh, we're, we're in the book of Hebrews, and we're going to look at different, different verses today, but we're going to land in the, sa- the exact same place. So let's dive, let's dive into this series, all right? Throughout, throughout this series, there have been a couple of common themes or statements that Scott's made over the last you know, two or three weeks in here that we keep coming back to. and We're going to do it again today. The first one is this whole idea of God's kingdom. And, and if you come to Flatlands very long, you're going to hear us talk about God's kingdom a lot. All right? And here's what we mean by that God's kingdom is God's people living in God's place under his rule, under his truth. All right? My, my life is under him. All right? So that's what we talk about, the God's kingdom. And then the second thing that we talk about a lot in here, and, and Scott made this so clear, is that Jesus is the theme, and I love the way he said this. He says he's the point of the Bible, all of it, not just the last third. Right? And I don't ever think about that, but Jesus is the theme of the point of the Bible from cover to cover. And then, and then if you go back over the last several months in here, it all comes together. And remember that the number one message to come out of Jesus' mouth, like every time he stood up in front of a group of people like this, a big group or a little group, whatever, he almost always started his talk the exact same way with the same word. And that word was, remember, repent, which is a Bible word. But this, this is what we've, we've come to know what that means is repent means to rethink how you think about everything, especially your life. I got to rethink my life. Right, my plan, my strategy for how I'm gonna live my life from this point on. I can't change my past, but I have some years left. I might need to rethink how I'm gonna live the rest of my, of my life. And then, then we all look back at Jesus or we read that in the Bible, and the question is, why would I wanna do that? Why would I wanna rethink my life? Why would I wanna rethink family or marriage or the way I've lived my life up to this point? And here's the rest of what Jesus said after that, that big word, repent. He said, repent for or, or because the kingdom of God, there it is again, it's right here. It's available to you. And I, again, I, no one ever taught me this. I grew up thinking that the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven was someplace you go after you die. In my mind, heaven was this place, it's like a Disney castle in outer space, and when I die, I teleport there or something like that, right? And that's not even in the Bible. What, what Jesus taught was, no, it's all around you, like the air around your head. God's presence is that, that available to, to everyone. And what Jesus taught was, it's possible for you to take your life, all the parts of your life, The good parts and the bad parts. The parts you've done really, really great at and the parts you've blown up and take them and lay them in the presence of God and put them under his truth. And he has the ability to redefine your life. Whatever your life has been in the past, he goes, I I can give that a better meaning. Right? He, can, he can resurrect even the dead parts of your life. There's parts of your life you're gone, that is dead and buried, it's, it's, it's not coming back. Resurrection is God's specialty, right? And he can redeem. We're gonna look at the word redeem a lot next week. He can redeem whatever is going on in your life. As bad as it is, he can redeem it for something good, he promises. Jesus said that through him, he said, the reason I came is so that we won't have to live in separation from God because we've screwed up our lives, right? He said, I came that you might have a good life, a, an abundant life, a, a better life, so I want to, what I want to do today is I want, I want to take a different path through the book of Hebrews that Scott took last week, but we're going to end up in the same place. And I, I love how Scott said this last week is he, when, he, when he said it's like the writer of Hebrews. I'm not sure of, of, of the person's name, but it's like the writer of Hebrews knew that he was talking to a bunch of people back then when he wrote it like 2,000 years ago. And even right now in Colorado, he's like writing to people who are just done, exhausted. We're doing our best to hang on to God and, and believing in Jesus and all that. We're trying to do the right thing, but we're, we're right on the edge. Some of us are right on the edge. I heard someone say it this way. It's like, I'm not, I'm not at the point where I'm gonna give up and quit, but I can see it from here. And that's what, that would describe some of us. I haven't walked out yet. I haven't filed papers yet. I haven't stopped believing, but you know what? I, it just feels like it's a matter of time. And so what I wanna do today is I'm gonna look at two kings in the Bible. One's always been kind of this mystery to me, confusing. I just skip over it and go on to another part. His name's King Melchizedek. And then I'm gonna look at King Jesus and then how how they, they, they interacted with some other people in the Bible. So let's look at this guy, Melchizedek, all right? He's found in the Old Testament. And another word for Old Testament is Old Covenant. It's the same word okay? So whenever you hear the word testament or covenant, it's the same word. So Melchizedek is in the Old Testament, and Jesus is found in the New Testament, or the New Covenant, same word, right? But what we're going to find out today is that Jesus makes appearances in both the Old and the New Testament. So well, how can you say that? Because Jesus is the theme. He's the point of the entire Bible, cover to cover. See, now and again, I, I grew up thinking this. My dad's a pastor. My grandpa's a pastor, you know. I've been to Sunday school since birth, all right? So, and I don't remember anybody teaching me this, but a few years ago, I realized that in my mind, somehow, I had decided that I believed that there wasn't a Jesus before Bethlehem. It's like, it's like God had lived a, several gazillion years or something like that. And one day he went, I'm lonely. I want to have a baby. She seems like a nice girl. Boom. All right. And then, he, and then, and then Christmas. All right. So, so that's, that's how I thought it worked. But that's not how it worked. Some of you are going, it's not. <laughs> it's not. No. Look at this. This is written by a guy named Peter, that, that, that fisherman that Jesus met. All right. Years later, he writes this about Jesus. He says that he or Jesus was, cho- this is great. Jesus was chosen before the what? Before the, before the world was even made. Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for us, for our sake. So gonna several times today, I think I'm gonna blow or pop your little Jesus bubble, all right? But Jesus existed with the Father before Genesis chapter one. So the Bible says actually he was involved in creation, which means that, get ready, right? right? God created the world knowing we would mess it up and what it would take to fix it, sending his son Jesus and said, I'm gonna do it anyway. I want you to be born anyway. I want you to be here and it's gonna cost me, but, but it's worth it. And if that's true, if we're looking for him, it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus shows up several times before Bethlehem, right? So this, this guy named Melchizedek, right, is, is in the Old Testament, right? But what we're gonna find is that Jesus is there too. So we're gonna look at Melchizedek today, all right? And we find his, his story in the middle of another guy's story, a really famous guy named Abraham. We're gonna be in, in Genesis chapter 14. There's free Bibles at all three campuses, so if you wanna go get one right now, they're free. All right, go, all right? If you don't have a Bible, go, go, go get one. So look for Genesis 14. It's like the cover and then like 20 pages in, all right? But um, I'm gonna give you a little prequel, a little pre, pre-story, a little backstory before we get to Genesis 14. And there's a lot of history today. And at the end, you're, all through this, you're gonna go, what's that have to do with me? What's that have to do with me? If you just stay for the last 10 minutes, you're gonna go, "Uh oh, all right? So just, just, just hang on, all right? So let me give you some history here. There's this guy named Abraham, but when we meet him, his name is Abram. God changes his name later, it's the same guy. All right. And he lives in this city in the Middle East called Ur. All right. And he works for his dad and his dad makes idols. They have a God store. And I always thought that was kind of weird. All right. And then I went to India. All right. And I went to this mall and there was a God store in the mall. It's like there's the gap and there's the God store. All right. And, I, and so I went shopping and I went in there, you know, and, and, and back then it's the same thing. You could buy a God to put on your mantle for whatever you needed. Like, so I need to keep mice out of my house. There's the mouse God. You know, you put him up there and then I need a a God to keep my kids sober. I don't know what it is, but you would go get all all this stuff. I need a God to bless my family. And so that's what Abram and his dad did. They made idols and you went and bought one, put it in your house and prayed to it. And in the middle of all that, God shows up, capital G God shows up and goes, hey, Abram, leave all this. Just let go of your life. The way we'd say that, you know, what we said already is, hey, Abram, repent. Rethink how you think about everything. Rethink what you thought you were gonna do with your marriage. Rethink what you were gonna do with your life, your career, taking over the family business. Let go of all that. Rethink your life. Pick up your family and follow me. And Abram asks a good question. It's a question I would ask. Where are we going? And God gives him this answer. To a land I will show you. That's a little vague, Right? (laughs) If I go home today and I go, hey, Rob, I'm taking you on vacation. She's gonna say, where are we going? I'm gonna say, I'll show you. She's not getting in the car, all right? <laughs> right, all right, we're going to Thornton, great. All right, right. so I mean, I mean right. so Abram asks a good question. I'll show you, just, just trust me, all right? And then on top of that, he says, and Abram, you and your wife, Sarah, you're gonna have a son? You're going to have a lot of sons and a whole bunch of people. You're going to have so many ancestors. I will make you into a great nation. Your children, your grandchildren will outnumber the, the stars of, of, of the heavens. And you got to let this sink in because when God told Abraham that, was around 80. All right? And Sarah's like in her 70s. And I, I, you got to think God, was, or Abraham just went, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> right, right? Sarah's like, you're no spring chicken either, right? But anyway, right? <laughs> and they've never had a child. And so you got to think, this is nuts. And Abraham said, all right. I believe you and he did it he packed up his family his wife you know his, his nephew yeah he was living with them. hey get your family lot everything we own they put him in a wagon they left the family business they started moving to a place God was going to show them. even though God never told him where it was when they would get there or, or how long it would take all right just hey Abram I got this trust me and look at this Abram obeyed you gotta let that sink in I, I don't know any of the details. I don't know how it's gonna work. I'm not really, I, we, we just met, really, God, all right? All right, I'm in. Now, flip ahead a few years, all right? And, and things are getting a little tense between Abram and his nephew, Lot, because, I mean, anytime you hang around family on a wagon, it just, whatever. So anyway, so, so they decide, Abram's really wise. He goes, hey, hey, hey Lot, listen, let's, let's go two different directions. You choose, you go whichever way you want. You take your cows and your sheep, or whatever, and then I'll go the other direction. And so Lot looks around and goes, that's the best land, I want that and he finds the best land for his cows and his sheep and all that and he goes in the direction of a city called Sodom known for being a really wicked uh, evil city, city all right and lot, lot looks back and he goes, i i got this and the bible says that lot pitched his tents toward Sodom and the way that we would say that today is i'm deciding to turn my life in the wrong direction but i got i'll be fine you ever had that that day i know this probably isn't the right thing to do but the grass is so green over there and i'll i'll be fine right so he goes in the wrong direction. All right, so skip ahead to Genesis 14. This is where we're going to pick this up today. A war breaks out in that part of the world between five different kingdoms. Five different kings go to war. It's like Game of Thrones. Come on. All right, all right. You shouldn't watch that. But anyway, but anyway, so, so all these kings are going to war, and they're probably all competing for right there in that part of the world are these tar pits, these oil, these oil pits, all right? And, and the kings would take that oil, and they, they would paint it on the outside of their ships and make them waterproof. So like every other war in the Middle East, it's over... Oil, all right, so, and that's as political as I'll get. Save that email, all right. So, so but in that war, it happens right, right outside of Sodom, and so Lot and his entire family are taken captive, right? And so somebody sends a message to Abram going, hey, your, 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 your family, or your, your, your nephew is, 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 and his whole family, they're, they're put on, they're captive, you gotta do something, you gotta fix this. So Abram's like, he has to put his life on hold, he has to go raise an army and go rescue his, his nephew, who shouldn't have been there in the first place, Right? Now time out here, okay, and don't point at anybody and don't say any names out loud, but have you ever had a person in your life that's always in the wrong place at the wrong time and when everything falls apart, everybody in your family expects you to be the one to go fix it, do not look at them right now, they're right beside you, okay, right, and you're like, this isn't fair, this isn't my, this isn't my deal, why do I have to put my life on hold and go fix their problem, and you gotta think, Abraham's in the same spot, All right, I'll do it. And he goes to war, puts his own life in danger, rescues his nephew, brings him back, and then sits down in the middle of this valley to figure things out. Again, here, I wanna emphasize this, because Scott and I are trying to kind of bring this out more and more and more as we study Bible people, all right? Bible people are just like you and me. All right, and we over-spiritualize Bible people all the time, other than Jesus, all right? We do, it's like, like, I grew up thinking, again, nobody ever taught me this, but I thought Bible people were like super spiritual. I actually thought the Bible people had a, a glow around their head, like the paintings, right? You've all seen that, right? I how people walk around going, hey, you got a glow head. So I, I thought it's not true, all right? They're, they're normal people who had the same kind of week that you had, facing the same kind of troubles and the same kind of problems, the same kind of family problems and temptations and frustrations that you and I have, who wrestle with the same questions about God that you and I wrestle with all week long. Like, you ever wrestle questions like this, will God show up and take care of me or not? I mean, I read it in the Bible, I sang a song about it, heard Jim say it, but I don't know if he will. I mean, some things maybe, but I don't know if this is in his pay grade. Or how, can I trust him or not? Can I trust him in some stuff I can, but I don't know about this, followed by, here's a big one, will I obey God or not? I wrestle with that. Well, it's none of your business a lot this week, all right? Will I obey him or not? And when God does show up and does more than what I thought he was gonna do or less or different than what I expected. Their reactions and my reactions are the same thing. Really, God? Right? Because they don't know how things will turn out any more than we know how they're gonna turn out. So when God does this or doesn't do that, they're just as surprised as you and I would be. So put yourself in Abraham's shoes, all right? He's left everything because of a promise from God of a promised land that's gonna be his and as of yet, years into this process, he hasn't seen any promised land. You ever had that going on in your life? I know this is God, what God wants for my life. I know this is what God told me to do. And there's no, nothing on the horizon that looks even familiar to what you know God wants for your life. You ever felt like that? Or how, how about this? He's been promised a son, all right, through his wife, right? And at this point in the story, they're both like in their 90s. You got to let that sink in because I, I mean, I'm 53 and the idea of adding a nursery to, the, to, to my house, it's, it's just, that's hell. I just don't want to do that, all right? I mean, I like my grandkids, now go home, all right? But the idea of being in my 90s and having a baby, right, think of your great-grandparents, go. Now stop, all right? So, all right, it's just like, uh, get that out of my head. And you got to think, Abram and Sarah are going, this is just nuts, this is God's not going to keep His promise. And then, how about this? Ever felt like this? Even though He's been doing everything that He knows to do, He's done everything God told Him to do. And now, in the middle of all this, He has to put His life on hold and go bail out a family member. You ever felt like God? This isn't fair. And if I was Abraham, I'd be pretty tired. I'd be angry, frustrated, confused. I'd be really tempted to pray something like this screw this whole thing. I've tried to trust you, God. I've done everything I know to do. No one is co- cooperating. I'm doing exactly what I want, what I'm supposed to do. Because this is your plan, hey, dear Lord, it's a bad plan. In Jesus' name, amen. Has anybody ever prayed that prayer? Yeah, we just do. And I'm not saying that's how Abraham felt. It's just how I feel a lot. And I felt like, you know what? I, I try to do the right thing and nothing work, nothing's working. Abram's just like us. So now let's pick up uh, Genesis chapter 14. Abram's just gotten back from, from, from war and he's sitting in this valley trying to figure out what to do next. Genesis chapter 14, verse 17. After his, after Abram's return from the defeat of, you don't know it either. All right, uh, cheddar Larimer, all right? You, that's as good as I got. The Cheddar King, all right, so, all right, so. After the defeat of Chadalamer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him, Abram, at the Valley of Shabbat, that is the King's Valley. And here it is, all right, first time in the Bible. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And Melchizedek blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And then we don't hear from about Melchizedek again for thousands of years. All right, there's one little brief verse we'll look at later in the, right in the bundle of the Bible in the book of Psalms, but it's not mentioned again until the book of Hebrews. So let's skip over to, to the book of Hebrews chapter seven the next time we find out about this Melchizedek guy. All right, so chapter seven, verse one. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, and to him Abraham apportioned or gave a 10th part of everything. He, Melchizedek, is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness, And then he's also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. I'll explain that. He is with, this gets confusing. He's without father or mother or genealogy. He doesn't have a family tree. Having neither the beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. So here's what we find out about this mysterious king who shows up way back in the book of Genesis, all right, and now is explained thousands of years later in Hebrews. Melchizedek, right? And this will all make sense later. It's really, really important stuff. Melchizedek is a priest of the Most High God. Now, now, priest means different things to some of us, depending on the, the, the tradition we grew up in. But you could take that word tri- priest and think intermediary, someone that goes between, or, or connector. That, the actual word priest comes from the same word that we get the word bridge builder. And again, that makes sense. Probably two-thirds of this church grew up in the Catholic church, all right? Don't raise your hand, you know who you are, right? So, and, and so this makes better sense to some of us. We used to go to a building and go in that building to a special booth, open the door, sit down, slide back a door and talk to a priest and we'd tell him, this is what's going on in my life and that priest would talk to God for us, come back and say, this is what God says, go do this, right? Right, that, so, so what he did is, I'll, I'll, I'll represent you before God. I'll connect you to God, I'll go between you and God. That's a priest. Melchizedek was a priest between the most high God and Abram. He's also a king of righteousness. King just, righteousness means put things right, right? He's also is the king of Salem. And later Salem becomes Jerusalem, all right? And Salem is the same word as shalom, peace. So he's the king of peace. And this is kind of, kind of strange, but he has no beginning or end of life. He resembles the son of God. He continues a priest forever, and he brings a sacred meal of bread and wine. So, so let me just sum that up in common language. Here's what Melchizedek does. They're in that valley that day. When Abram needs him, he just shows up. Abram didn't invite him. Maybe he didn't even know he existed. But in a moment when he was just about ready to throw in the towel, here comes Melchizedek. When Abram needs him, he just comes. And he comes with peace right after a war and righteousness and blessing and a sacred meal. Now look at that, all right? Do any of those phrases or descriptions sound familiar to anybody else described with words like that? And the answer is, yeah, it sounds like, sounds like we're describing Jesus, right? And the Bible isn't clear on whether Jesus and Melchizedek are the same person, I think they are, but, but, but it's clear that they are cut from the same cloth, right? Priest, king, eternal, son of God, wine and bread, and he shows up at just the right time, even though we didn't know we needed him. Has Jesus ever done that for you? He's just there. So Old Testament, Old Covenant, Melchizedek, resembling the Son of God. New Testament, New Covenant, Jesus is the Son of God. Now, throughout this series, here's what we've been been looking at. There was a time when this whole kingdom of God thing wasn't available to people like us. Because we made mistakes. And God is holy and our sin doesn't let us get close, close to God. So when they built that temple, they put that big curtain in the middle of it going, you stay on your side and God is on this side. But then every once in a while, there's priest representing us would go behind that curtain and he would, he, would, he would offer sacrifices that temporarily paid or rolled back our sins, at least until we did it again. And then he'd have to kill another sheep and another goat or another cow, whatever, right? And we also looked at the promise from God that Jesus is now qualified to serve us, not just our high priest, He's also our sacrifice. He's the priest and he's the sacrifice. And his death, burial, and resurrection that we're gonna look at in about a month at at Easter, right, was so great and so perfect, this is what it does for you when you put your faith in Jesus. It takes away everything that you've ever done wrong, no condemnation. Anything you're struggling with right now, some days you get it right, some days you get it wrong, it's forgiven, ready? And anything you might do between now and your funeral, ready, it's already forgiven. That's called grace. Well, what, what, what if I screw up next week? And will I lose my salvation? No. It's already, it's already forgiven. So we can boldly go before the throne of God. We can go behind that curtain because Jesus brings us in. So the question is, how do we know that? How can we be sure? Because Jesus makes some pretty big claims. Like, I'm the only one that can do that for you. Nobody else, no other religion can do that for you. That's what Jesus said. So what qualifies Jesus to serve as our great high priest? How do we know that Jesus is able to, to remove our sin and bring us into God's presence? Let's look at that, Hebrews chapter five, verse five. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him and said to him, you're my son, today I have begotten you. And he says in another place, God says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So there he is, okay? We don't hear anything from him for 4,000 years and now it's like the focus in the middle of this book. The only other time we hear about him is David mentions him in the book of Psalms because he's talking about one day God will send his son Jesus. But in Hebrews chapter five, what we looked at, we find out that Jesus didn't decide, Jesus didn't show up and look around the world and go, this is a mess, I'll save it. I appoint myself high priest, I will save the world. No, 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 he didn't appoint himself, he was appointed, he was chosen. And when was he chosen? He was chosen before before creation. And he was sent by God, he said, you're my son, the same God who said, and here it is in Psalms, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, so this is true, you are Jesus, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So God, God appoints Jesus. He goes, you're gonna be high priest of all these people. You're gonna do for all of us on an eternal level what Melchizedek did for Abram in that valley when he was on the edge of just quitting. Now let's go back to Hebrews, all right? And look at this really, really closely because it's gonna help us understand Jesus better. And that's that's why we come in here, right? I wanna know, I wanna understand Jesus better because the more I understand him, then maybe I'll trust him with that part of my life. I'm holding back, but the more I get to know him, I'll, I'll trust him more. All right, I love this part. Like Hebrews chapter five, verse seven. In the days of his flesh, and I'm gonna look at that in a second. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications, that's, that's request, with loud cries and tears to him, to God, who was able to save him from death. And we're talking about the cross. And he was heard because of his, what's that word? Reverence, that's really, real important. Again, we looked at this last week. I looked at this last week. When Jesus lived in the flesh, People gotta get this, he lived fully in the flesh, not kinda. He wasn't kind of like us, he was just like us. He was fully God and he was fully just like us. So when Jesus was in the flesh, it was the exact same flesh that you walked around in all week long, for better or worse, right? His flesh, all right, was was fragile, right? Right? Subject to everything that happens to your flesh. His flesh, when he missed a meal, he got hungry. His flesh wanted stuff, all right? His flesh felt stuff. His flesh was the target of temptation. His flesh was capable of getting sick or being addicted if you put it in the wrong place. Flesh and I, that you and I walk around in every day, when Jesus was in the flesh, if he understands my life at all, there were times in his life, days, seasons, I don't know, when his flesh, his life hurt so bad, when he, when, when he faced such fear, and I'll explain that in a minute, right? When he faced circumstances and trials and temptations, that he was tempted to go, I'm not doing this anymore. I, I, I quit. This is this these people these people are they're not cooperating. He faced things that were so painful and scary that when he prayed, he did it with wild cries and tears, asking God, begging God, save me from this. You ever prayed that prayer? Get me out of here. Save me from this death on the cross that I'm about to, 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 to face. And God what? We just read it. God heard his prayers because of his what? Reverence. And what's reverence mean? Well, it's the same word. We don't use the word reverence a lot today. We, we use the word respect. It's the same word because of his respect. Respect means this. I trust that God's intentions for me are good. I trust God even though my life hurts. I trust God that I am curled up in a ball and I'm crying and I'm begging and afraid. I trust that God's, God's gonna look out for me. So reverence means I trust God that your intentions for me are good. And another word for trust there, all right, in the Bible is faith. It's the same word, which means I will live with and I will act with the confidence that God is who he says he is and he'll keep his promise to me. Jesus says, I, I, I'm gonna trust you. Now look at this, this is so good. Look at verse eight. Although, or even though Jesus was a son, he learned obedience through what he, what's the word? It's important. Jesus learned obedience. So Jesus had things to learn. Kind of blows my mind, right? He learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he, Jesus, became the source of eternal salvation to all, I'm gonna put this in, of us who obey him, being designated or chosen by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now let's go back to this. because This is really, really important. It says this, although Jesus was a son, he learned what? Obedience through what he what? Suffering, and this you gotta let that sink in, all right? Jesus was the son of God and he doesn't get a pass on suffering. It's the number one I, thing I ask God for. Can I get a pass? Can you take the suffering away? Can you take the pain away? Can you put a bubble around me and my family so that nothing, the boogeyman can't get to me? Can you take all suffering away from me? If Jesus didn't get a pass, listen, the, the only way to learn obedience is by facing and going through whatever you have to go through. You know that, parents. It's the only way. Deciding, can I trust God? Based on what's going on, can I trust God to keep on going through it? Or am I going to bail out? And if it's true for Jesus, it's true for me and you. See, there's this truth throughout the Bible, and we talk about this all the time. It's demonstrated in Jesus better than anybody else, obviously. But it goes like this. You cannot separate what you claim to believe or have faith in from what you do. Faith and actions, right, right? What we choose to do on the outside, and by that I'm saying with this stuff, this flesh, what we do with our flesh reveals what we truly believe on the inside, in our hearts, in our souls, whatever you wanna call it. And the only way Jesus could become our high priest and remove our sins and bring us past that curtain and right into the presence of God is not because he looked back at God one day and goes, I get it in my head. I know theoretically, Lord, if if tomorrow they nail me to a cross and then I die and then they stick me in a hole, I believe in my head that you could, symbolically, theoretically, whatever, you could raise me from the dead. I get it, I believe, can we skip this part? He didn't do that. He didn't do that. That's what I ask for all the time. But it's because of his level of belief on the inside, because of that, his faith led to obedience on the outside. There's a cross, let's go. Because... I believe and trust and have confidence my good father, God, is who he says he is, and he is good, and he will keep his promise to raise me up from the dead after I've paid the price of everybody's sin, even though I'm so overwhelmed, I'm overwhelmed to the point of death. This is the part of Jesus we don't like to talk about. Curled up in a ball, crying, weeping, screaming, yelling, asking God to take the cross away, he's so stressed out, the blood is running down his forehead because the blood vessels in his face break, and all his friends are asleep. I'm overwhelmed to the point of death this is gonna be hard. But even though I'm afraid, I will obey. Y'all let that sink in. Even though I'm afraid, I, I, I will obey. Let's say that out loud together, one, two, three. Even though I am afraid, I will obey. Wouldn't that be awesome if that was true? Right, now, now time out, okay? All right, for, for, for the last year or so, Scott and I, and a few other staff members, we've gone round and round about that, right? Because I'll tell you, a year ago, I would not have put that on the, on the screen. All right, and here's what I mean. You know, we were talking about a year ago and and Scott and some of the other guys said that in the garden, Jesus felt fear. Jesus was afraid in the garden. And my argument was, no, he wasn't, he's Jesus, right? Because fear is lack of faith. I don't trust that God's gonna take care of me. And the Bible says that perfect love cast out fear and Jesus had perfect love and perfect faith so it would have been a sin for Jesus to feel fear. That was my point, all right. And their point was this: Listen, if Jesus has been felt and tempted in everything that I have felt or been tempted by, then fear has to be on the table, or he doesn't get me. He doesn't understand my life, and so we've been kind of stuck for like a year. Because I'm not sure if you know this or not, but Scott is stubborn. <laughs> I was gonna say hard-hearted, but that's over the line, all right. But. Uh, he, he's, he's stubborn, all right? But, but don't worry, all right? So we worked it out. We're not gonna split the church over this, all right? But turns out, fortunately, we're both right. I'm a little more right. I'm gonna be honest with you, I'm a little more right, okay? But, but here's what I mean by that. There, there are two kinds of fear. Actually, there's, there's one fear, there's two responses to fear. One, one is bad and one is good. Even, fear's even a necessary part of life sometimes, right? See, there's, there's, a, there's a fear that is so overwhelming and paralyzing, it locks you up, and you can't do what you need to do. You've been there, right? In your marriage, with your kids, with your parents, with you got caught, you think you're gonna get caught, whatever, finances, whatever this, you just sit there and go, I don't know what to do. I, I can't move forward, I can't move back, I can't change anything, tell me what to do. I'm stuck, I don't know what to do. And you just sit there going, uh, 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 and that's bad. Then there's a fear that recognizes that this thing in front of us, all right, is a dangerous situation. It has the potential to steal, kill, and destroy you and the most important parts of our life. And, and fear, that's not a bad thing. It calls attention to go, hey, pay attention. This is big. It has the potential to take everything away from you, all right? There's that kind of fear. But alongside of that fear, there's also something present that believes that there is something more important at stake that allows, and I'd say even causes us to push through it and do what needs to be done. And that's what Jesus had in the garden. He had this... He had this belief, he was crying, he was begging, but he had this confidence, he had this faith, God's gonna keep his promise. And so he obeyed, cross, let's go. And he didn't cave into the suffering, he did what had to be done, and God kept his promise. And Jesus, go back to that verse again, Jesus became the source of eternal salvation, he connects us back to God, to all of us who obey him, I'll follow you. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, skip down to to, to verse 15, Hebrews chapter seven. This is all gonna tie together here in a a minute, all right? This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, a better one, all right, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement. In the Old Testament, you had to come from a certain tribe to be a priest, all right, concerning bodily descent. Here's what Jesus has. But by the power of a what? An indestructible life. What qualifies Jesus to be my Lord and Savior? He has an indestructible life. They tried to destroy it, they failed. He wins, right? For his witness of him, you, Jesus, are a priest forever, eternally, after the order of Melchizedek. So, Old Testament, Old Covenant, based on keeping rules and regulations, doing things the right way. We have Melchizedek coming to Abraham, taking care of him, bringing him peace, bringing him righteousness, blessing him, giving him bread and wine, communion with God. He connected God and Abraham and God. New Testament, we have Jesus coming to us and doing the same thing. Doing what? When, when I need him, he just comes. Usually I don't even remember I needed him. As I most of the time I look around and go, you were here all along, I just wasn't paying attention. When, he need, when I need him, he just comes. And when he comes, my life is just all stressed out, and when he comes, there's peace, he comes with peace and righteousness, and he blesses me, and he feeds me this sacred meal. We're gonna do this on Easter, we're gonna take bread and wine, we're gonna pass it out. And Jesus says, this is, a, this is a cup, this is my blood, shed for a new covenant. So let's look at this new covenant that Jesus is referring to. It's found in Hebrews chapter eight. It's gonna just really clear up what the old and the new is all about. For this is, this is God talking, he says, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, and today he would say my church, after those days, after Jesus does what he needs to do, declares the Lord, here's the covenant, ready? I will put my laws, my truth, into their what? Minds. And I'll write them on their what? Hearts. And I'll be their God and they shall be my people. He'll be our God and we'll be his people, his family. And they, talking about us, they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord. We're not gonna try to talk each other into believing in God. But here's this. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities and I'll remember their sins no more. And that's really, really confusing religious language. So let's clear this up. It means that in the old covenant, you and I were judged on how well we kept pages in a book. Did you do that right? Did you do that right? Did you do that right? Did you? Do that? Or, 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 or words chiseled on a stone tablet. All right. But in the new covenant, brought by Jesus. All right. Those words and truths and commandments will be written on a person's heart, and and not on the pages of a book. Meaning this is the the words that you find in the Bible are absolutely true and trustworthy. But the words you find in the Bible simply expand and explain what God has intuitively put into every man and woman he's ever created to walk on this planet in his likeness and image. And that's confusing. It's going to get worse. Here's what I mean. It means this, and this is going to, this is going to rock some of your worlds. It means that on a certain level, and read this in Romans chapter 1 later if you want to do this, but Paul says that God has revealed himself enough to every person on the planet to a level that leaves every person without the excuse of, I didn't know. I get this all the time. What about the person in the middle of China? What about the person on on an island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean? I can't can't explain it all, but God, because he's right and just and fair, has revealed enough of himself to every person that nobody's ever going to look back at God and go, I didn't know. It's not my fault. God will write his laws and his truth in every person's mind. You'll know, and on every person's heart, you'll feel. Heart, soul, mind, strength, right? And you'll feel God, and every person will know God. God. Somehow God does this, I don't know how he does it, but he, he lets people know, I'm here, this is what I'm like, and we feel him drawing us to himself. Which means this, this is gonna, this is gonna make some of you mad. You miss me, haven't you? Right, so um, it means this, according to the Bible, according to Jesus, take a breath, ready, don't leave. There's, there's really no such thing as an actual atheist. There's people say it all the time, I don't believe in God, that's not possible. It's not possible. Well then what am I? Well it's only how you choose to live your life. And all your life is either moving closer to what God has revealed intuitively in you as this is right and true, and you know it, or you live your life rebelling and moving against, uh, away from what God has revealed as right and true, and the reason we wanna go the other way is I don't wanna obey him. I don't, so I'm gonna say he's, he's not real, right? But ever since Jesus rose from the dead, his Holy Spirit has put into you his presence and his truth in your heart and your mind. And then when you put your faith in Jesus at the right point, that's between you and God, what he did on a cross, how he was raised from the dead with an indestructible life, Jesus becomes your high priest and he will administer this new covenant like Melchizedek did for Abraham. What's that mean? It means this, when you need Jesus, he will be there. He'll be there. It's part of the covenant. He promises. And he's the Prince of Peace. You'll be so stressed out And they'll say, Jesus, are you there? And you'll feel peace. He's the king of righteousness. He makes things right. He'll bring it, he'll make things right. Not always the way I want him to, or as quickly as I want him to, but I I felt God say to me, I've got this. You don't have to fix it. I'll make it right. And he'll bless. Jesus will give you the grace and strength to obey and do whatever needs to be done. And then he'll give you a sacred meal He'll serve you bread and wine and remind you, this is what every communion service is about. It's in the back of the auditorium if you wanna take it on your way out today. I will remember your sins no more. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You forgot, take this bread and this wine. Remember, you're forgiven. Now look, look at this, all right? We just sang about it, we're gonna sing it again. We're gonna sing the same song again that we just sang, all right? Because I want it like, ringing in your head all, all, all week long. But Paul, Paul writes this. He says, in God... Raise the Lord, raise Jesus, and will also raise us up by his, what's the word? Power. And power is the Greek word dunamis. It's the same word we get dynamite. So it's not a little bit. It's not a firecracker, all right? It's big, right? And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his. And you can put the word same power in there the same God who raised Jesus, that level of power to raise Jesus is available in us. And that certainly applies to what God's gonna do for you spiritually. So your body one day is gonna die and then Jesus is gonna reach in and he's gonna take you and you're gonna live with him eternally in heaven. It certainly applies to that. But when Paul says that, he's not talking about going to heaven someday. He's saying that the same power that raised Christ from the dead, that crushed Satan's control over our lives spiritually, that same power is available to us, not after we die, but today. In this life. You gotta look at this, all right? The same power that crushed Satan by raising Jesus from the dead is in you and me. The same power, not kind of like it, a similar power. The same power that crushed Satan by raising Jesus from the dead, it's in you and me, right? Now let's put all that together. We're gonna get to application here in a second. Under this new covenant, God has written his truth in your heart and in your mind. In other words, right now, and I can't prove this, but I know I'm right, I think God's talking to you. And you know exactly what I'm telling you. And I don't know what he's saying, that's between you and God, but he's, he's, he's saying something to you right now. And you're sitting there going, no, he's not. But you know, you know, and you've known that even before you walked into this place, that God has been saying something to you. And when he gave, probably what he's saying to you right now, all right, I'm gonna give some words to it is, hey, we're gonna get up out of this room in about 10 minutes, all right? Here's what we need to do different. You need to do this more, this less, change this, do that more, let go of that, go to war over this, do, and, and what? The same power that raised Christ from the dead, I'll give you the power to obey what I'm about to tell you to do because faith without obedience isn't faith. Faith leads to obedience and the power of Jesus is gonna give us the power to obey. Look at this, all right? So just a couple more verses, all right? So, so you may not memorize verses out of the Bible, but if you've memorized, I'd say three verses out of the Bible, this is one of them, all right? If, you have, if you're one of those people that puts like verses on your refrigerator, this is the one on your refrigerator, all right? As soon as you hear it, you're gonna go, oh yeah, I heard that on a football game. It goes like this, all right? I can do... All things through him who strengthens me. Anybody heard that before? That's a good one, all right? Let's just say that to, together, ready? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, two deals on, that, on the table, all right? Either that is true or it's not. Those are the only options. Either I can do all things or I can't. Either he will give me the strength to do all things, face anything that might come into my life, or Jesus is not enough, and you believe one of them is right or not. I either can or I can't. Either Jesus is strong enough or he's not. And if you do believe that Jesus is strong enough, then in that power, you're gonna get up out of this room and your life is gonna be a little bit different. Otherwise, if Jesus didn't get up out of this room and go with you, I wouldn't leave the house. And I'll I'll give you an example of this, all right? Here's my one Africa story for today, all right? So when we were in Africa, in Nairobi, uh, one of the speakers at this men's conference that I was was teaching at was a local bishop from a a Nairobi church, all right? And and when he, he preached, he threw down like an African preacher. I mean, he was walking up and down going, well, well, and sweating and all that kind of stuff. And I can't do that. I'm a white boy from Indiana. I don't know how, all right? I pull a muscle or something, all right? So I, I, didn't, know, I didn't know how to do that, all right? And so he's going on and on and on and on uh, about, about King David, the whole conference was around King David and what it was that made David a great king and how we, it was a men's conference, how we can be the kings that God intended us to be. His name was Bishop Masindi. all right? And he was talking about when David, that shepherd boy, you learned about as a little kid? And he expanded on this, this shepherd boy, that when they said, hey, Jesse, bring all your sons and one of them's gonna be king. Jesse forgot he had this one. This is him, you don't have any others? Oh, oh yeah, really, all right? And you know what some people believe? It's because David's mom wasn't the other boy's mom. That maybe he was really, literally, the bastard child out there in the, just go out there with the slaves. Oh yeah, I have another son. You don't want to talk to him, do you? Yeah, that one, okay? So he brings David in and he anoints him and says, you're going to be the next king. And then later in that story, David, that little shepherd boy faced Goliath, the military giant and the champion. And the bishop pointed out, just took a time out, pointed out the lie that most of us Christians have brought, bought into without knowing it. And it goes like this. It's true for me anyway. Most of us think that Satan, the devil, is as strong and present in a bad way as God is strong and present in a good way. And it's not true. Right? Satan is not the opposite of God. God is infinite. Satan is not. God is unlimited. Satan has very, 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 very short, small limits. And Satan can't be everywhere at once. Get get this, look at this. You wanna take a picture of this, right? Satan is a fallen angel. He's not a fallen God. He's a fallen angel, and look at that, who doesn't know what's gonna happen next or what you're about to do. He doesn't know. He doesn't know how the rest of the day goes. He doesn't know what you're going to do tomorrow. He just just doesn't know. And this is what what that bishop pointed out there in Africa. He says, if Satan had known what was going to happen that day in that valley, he would have told Goliath, stay home. Do not go to the valley, right? Don't go out there because there's this David, redhead David kid, all right, who's tapped into a power that will knock you down and cut your head off with your own sword. And that's what happened. If Satan had known that, he would have said, Goliath, just stay home we will fight another day, and why do I tell you that? Because I fear that a lot of us Christians, let me just use me language, all right, me, all right, I, let me speak for myself, a lot of times when I think about facing my fears and my temptations and my habits, all right, I go into them believing I'm already defeated, I'm gonna lose again, Right, I don't have a chance. I have parts of my life I go, Satan just has a hold on me and I will never be able to have victory over at least that part of my life. And what I forget is this, is that the same power that raised Christ from the dead doesn't just take away my condemnation, bail me out of hell and get me to heaven after my funeral, but the same power that, that raised Christ from the dead is available to me in this life. In this way, today, like this afternoon, through Christ, I can do all things because he's my high priest and he promises me grace and priest and strength. He can make impossible things possible. Can I be honest with you? I've been to Africa. I'm fired up, all right? So, all right, I, I am done with whiny people, all right? I, especially, especially whiny men. And here's what I mean by that. You know who you are? Poor me, I can't help it. Ugh, stop. And the reason, the reason I, I, I hate it in other people is because I see way too much of it in the mirror. All right, I, I make every excuse in the book to, to justify why not only I have sinned in the past, but why I continue to sin in the present. Here's my number one, one excuse. I just can't help it. I just can't help, it's not my fault. Bad stuff happened to me when I was a kid. Painful stuff really screwed up my life. But, but, and all that's true, but if the same power really is available to me and Jesus is willing to be my prince and my priest and my king and promises me more than sufficient power, even if I've messed up the past, even if bad stuff happens on me today, all right, I don't have to live defeated anymore because there's a power available to me that will enable me to do all things. I can do anything. I can do everything that God tells me to do through Christ who gives me strength. I can do anything. I can do it, all right? And here's another example, all right? This gonna make the rest of you mad. They aren't mad yet, okay? All right, you gotta listen to this whole thing, because people have walked down in the past, all right? But anyway, right? See, I, <laughs> I think that 12-step programs have helped a lot of people. I like them, I love them. So you're going, oh no, where's he going with this? I'm in one right now, I've been in three. All right, whatever, good, all right? Go, they're good things, they're really good things. They've helped a lot of people. There, there's one part of 12-step groups that drive me crazy. And it's the way that a person in a 12-step program identifies themselves. Hi, I'm Jim, and I'm an alcoholic. I mean, can I clear something up? That's not biblical. What, what do you mean? I mean, that may be what you were. Then something happened in your life, and Jesus moved in, and you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were saved, so you're not an alcoholic. I mean, you might be addicted to alcohol, right? Or you might have alcoholism, but that is not who you are. What do you mean? You're a child of God. You're a new creation. Your chains have been broken, and through Christ, here we go, all things are possible. That's who I am. And that's the only thing, listen, that's the only thing that, that gave David confidence to walk into that valley and into that fight. If he didn't have that confidence, he should have been like his brother and hidden the rocks, right? Under that old covenant, but today, let me just talk to us, all right? So your body or your mind might be addicted to sex or porn or drugs or alcohol. You and I might be tempted to sleep with the wrong person or lie and hurt people like we've done over and over in the past, but that is not who we are anymore. That is not our identity, that's not who I am because if that is who I am, then I am defeated and I'm on my own, but I'm not on my own. I have Jesus in my life and I am saved and you are saved and we have a new life and a new power because I'm under a new covenant. So earns, listen, all right? Earlier I made a statement in that video, it's time for this church. And by this church, I mean us. I don't know about the world, all right? Us. These people that make up this place called, this is Flatiron, this is my church. It's time for us to take it to another level. And here's what I mean by that. It's time for us to stop whining and start claiming the power and victory that Jesus came out from behind that curtain to give us in the next life after we die. But I'm talking about today. I need victory in my life today. Look at this, all right? Hebrews chapter six. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope, and he could have just said, we got faith. I'm absolutely convinced that this is true, that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner. He's a leader, he went first on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We memorize that, we've said it every week so far, we say we believe that's true, we nod our heads, Jesus, Pastor Jim, right? We sing songs about it, but what if, flatterers? what if you begin to live your life in obedience because you actually believe it's true in your life? What if you actually believe the same power, the same dynamite, the same dunamis that, that called Christ out of the dead and said, don't be dead anymore, be alive, What if that lives in you? What if the power of Christ goes to work with you tomorrow? What if if the power of Christ goes to school with you? You See, I hate going to school because it's like walking into hell. But what if you walked into hell with Jesus, the power of Christ in you? What if Christ is in the middle of your marriage or your bedroom or your friendships or your addictions? Every landmine of your life that has blown you up in the past What if because of Christ, what if you believe that it could be not just brought into obedience to what God says is right and true, but your life could be defined with words like peace and joy and righteousness. What if the dead part of your life, the dead relationship in your life could be resurrected? What if, because honestly, again, I'm done. I'm done with this lukewarm Christianity thing, I'm tired. I'm tired of hiding in the rocks like David's brothers because they weren't sure God would show up when the giant attacks. So here's what I want to do from now on. I hope you join me. I want to walk right up to every Goliath in my life and go, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is going to knock you down and cut off your head. And then you will know that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me and I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Does anybody else want to live a life like that? So I'm I'm done. I'm way over time. Shouldn't have come to this service, right? But anyway... So here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of the biggest, scariest thing in your life. You don't have to pray about it. You know it's waiting for you outside the door. Biggest thing you're facing right now. Now I want you to stand up. We're gonna go Africa. you're gonna repeat after me. Stand up, all right? Stand, you're like, now? Yes, now, all right? So repeat after me, ready? I am part of a new covenant. His word, his truth lives in me. And now I can do all things. I can do everything. I can do anything through Christ who gives me strength. Come on. Because the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. I can do anything because Christ lives in me.